Hi, Chris. How are you? Evening, Rog. Yes, all is well here. And it's, what, Monday the 15th of August, episode 30. I know. We're blasting through these, aren't we? Well over six months now. We're on our way to the big year. I can't believe we're 30 episodes in. It's gone so quickly and it's just become part of life. We've got a podcast to do. I try and gather links in the week. I, I quite enjoy it. It's good. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, I, I feel exactly the same. I mean, I, I don't even mind if anybody's listening to us, really. I know we've had the odd listener question, and we thank all of the people who do listen to us, of course, but it's just nice to have a chat. It's nice to have a chat about some tech, which I don't get to do very often. Absolutely. And we've got a little bit of follow-up from last week. I was tasked with going off and finding out about Apple Maps and cycling. I did a fair bit of Googling. It doesn't seem like it's available in the Netherlands, so that's that's a fail. And I then had to see if it was available in the UK. And it says, no, you can't get cycling directions in Swansea. So it seems like an American-only thing. Well, they always start at home, don't they? But the Netherlands, I agree with you, does seem like a big fail, because if you're going to do cycling... There. But maybe they want to cut their teeth with somebody that doesn't cycle as much and get it right and not do another Apple Maps catastrophe. Does this make sense, though? I mean, surely cycling is a, a sort of a mix between pedestrians and driving. You think you wouldn't think it would be that hard to do. True, but I guess if they want to prioritise cycle lanes and all of that piece. And I don't know about where you live, but in some cities, certainly when I was up in Edinburgh and in... Oh, where was I? Maybe it was Birmingham. They've actually got more dedicated cycle lanes now. I've seen, seen a lot more of that. And they came through the pandemic and have stayed post-pandemic, if that makes sense. Sure. But you think Bristol, for example, has had cycle lanes for 10, 12 years. I remember there being an awful lot of stuff in the news about, you know, that you, there were the cycle lanes were, were dedicated to them. It was going to happen. It's not a new thing. Google have had cycling directions for at least eight or nine years on their maps. It's a bit of a fail that they've only just expanded its 50 states in, in America and it's nowhere else in the world. I mean, come on. Do you think it's part of the new maps that they launched? Was it last year now in the UK? And they are fantastic, I think. I do like the, the quality maps. I use them all the time in, in the car on CarPlay. So maybe they, they've got that as a prereq to doing cycling. Maybe it could be. I mean, I've been playing around with maps a bit myself as well. My With the Tesla, which I, I, I knew on some level but hadn't appreciated, you get one year's free complimentary access to the Tesla sort of wireless network of free streaming and all this kind of stuff. And it, I got an alert up on the car saying, your complimentary access is about to expire. Please consider resubscribing. And it's a tenner a month. And for a tenner a month, you get live traffic. So it colors some of the traffic on the maps red. It still does routing. It still does updates. It'll still do scheduling to, to supercharger stands and all that kind of stuff. You get free Spotify-ish. And you get streaming of Netflix and Disney Plus and things like that when you're parked up. I don't really need any of that, you know, when I think about it. But, um, go, sorry, go for me. No, no, I was going to say, it wouldn't be for me, but that's quite a lot you get. But can you use Spotify, Netflix, anywhere outside of the car? No. So it's just for that £10 a month, you can have it in the car? Yeah. Okay. No, it's not. Do you watch a lot of films in your car? Well, it's not. Pl- Wait, the idea is when you're charging, isn't it? You know, you get 30 minutes, you fire on your episode of Friends and off you go. But it's not even that. It, for Spotify, it does comp you an account. You get a car account for Spotify, but Netflix, you still need your own account. So you're still paying for Netflix separately for it. Right, okay. So all you're really getting is the live traffic and you can tether your phone anyway. So I'm not going to pay it up again. But my point was, it means I was trying a few apps and things like having my my phone on in the car with Waze. When I went to Scotland last time in the van, I actually used Apple Maps for most of the way up and down. And Apple Maps is, is perfectly good. You know, in fact, in some ways, I think it's better than Google Maps. I like the visualizations. I think the cities look good. But it, yeah, so I mean, it's a good service and one that's improved certainly from its starter. And I will go to it before Google Maps. But things like this, you just think, why are they so behind the curve on quite important features? Don't, right, okay. So a couple of things to unpack. So one, I don't disagree that they're 
bit behind the curve. Two, when you say Google Maps, do you mean Google Maps or Waze? Because my understanding is Google own Waze. It's right, the same thing. Go- right. So I never have used Google Maps. Obviously, I did probably 10 years ago, but since Apple Maps, I've always been on either Apple Maps or Waze. And I do know that Waze is owned by Google. I think Waze is superior in one way in that you get better real-time alerts of there's a car pulled over on the hard shoulder, there's a copper with a speed camera, so on and so on. I think that is better. But actually, I prefer Apple Maps. I use Apple Maps more because I get it on my driver console display as a nice big map. And I kind of like that if the kids want to have the music on the entertainment sort of display. But I don't know why Waze can't, if Apple Maps can support my other display, why can't Waze do it? Or maybe they just haven't haven't done it. But I haven't used Google Maps at all. I was with my brother-in-law in Scotland. He was using Google Maps and he loves it, uses it all the time. But one thing I found really strange is he has the map in his car so the map's always facing north, but not following the the direction that the car is. So the map doesn't rotate as you turn a corner. And I found that really weird because I was like, do you, does your brain not have to think I'm coming up? Do I need to turn left or right? If you know what I mean, because the, the map's always facing true north. So there you go. Yeah, that's something you can fiddle with. I've, I've found that myself and it breaks my brain as well. People always want it facing north. It, it just makes no logical sense to me. I want it moving as I turn to reorient to where I'm looking in the car. I- yeah, I think I want it facing north when I'm looking at a place for, from afar and I want to have a look at it. But when I'm driving, I want it to be facing the same way as the car, please. Yeah, I agree. One thing I hadn't realised Apple Maps did, because it's been a while since I used it, because I have been using you know, Waze and Google Maps, I do sort of flip between them, is that fixed speed cameras and traffic light speed cameras are now highlighted on the map. And that was quite a nice change as well. Yeah, I think that's been within the last year, if memory serves. And you can report hazards such as parked car on the hard shoulder, speed camera, you know, mobile speed cameras and things. I just don't think there is the crowd sourcing element happening as much on, on it for whatever reason. I think they were, again, slow to add their functionality when Waze had it for years. Yeah, I mean, it's what Waze was known for, wasn't it? Before it was bought by Google, is that sort of the crowd-sourced side of it was a big thing. And of course, that appealed to Google. So I, I do get it. And Waze is a great product, despite the fact it relies on Google Maps, obviously. But in some ways, that's a strength. And to be fair to Google, they don't seem to have fiddled with it that much. It still seems at its core very much the application it was way back when. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think Waze is very good. Google haven't really done much with it. I'm surprised they haven't really merged it all into one because it's a bit weird having two apps that do mapping and routing, surely it would make sense to, to overlap them. Google not having a consistent strategy on something other than advertising, you, you shocked me. At cow surprise, yeah. Yeah, that might come up, come up a bit, little bit later, actually, when we go into the news. Should we go into the news? Yeah, let's do it. Brilliant. Okay, so the first story, which I think you've put in there this week, is Apple release iOS, iPadOS, watchOS, macOS, tvOS, DevBeat is 5, and PublicBeat is 3 to the public. Have you Are you running these on all your various devices yet? Yeah, I'm still on everything everywhere. I think I did say I did move to the public beta on my iPhone just because it seems to have slowed down the pace and I was worried that my overheating and my battery drain was because of the dev beta. I think from what you've said and others, the, the dev beta 4 got a lot better. Anyway, I'm on public beta 3, seems fine. I'm really looking forward to the iOS coming out. I think it's great. I must confess, I have finally set up my work focus modes properly. I don't know if you've done this. So I've got two focus modes. I'm either at work or I'm with my family, and that's pretty much my life. And so 8 o'clock in the morning changes to work. It changes my watch face, changes my phone screen and the widgets on the phone screen. And then at 6 o'clock at night, it flips to family time, and then it's family time every evening till, till the next morning. And then at the weekend, it's family time all the time. And I love it. I like that you could... Now I can change my watch face automatically. It's brilliant. So when I'm at work, I've got a slightly different watch face, which is called modular. 
and it's got the Outlook widget in it that shows me my, my next meeting, which is really important for work. But when I've knocked off work, I don't want to see what means I've got tomorrow. So I then have it just go back to the infograph display, which I really like. And then on my work iPhone home screen, I've got a widget like with our share price on it and, it and a bit about the weather. And I love it. And it's great. And I've got a picture that isn't my children. And then when I leave work and it gets to six o'clock at night, a picture of my children comes up and I'm in home time. I really think they've done a good job on, on the whole feature. I think it's really good. I haven't gone down the route of limiting Safari tab groups yet, but I have started using tab groups enormously now. I've got one for this podcast where I'm just collecting links in the week. And then I've got one, which is work, work tab groups. And then we've got some projects on at work. So I've got you know, a tab group for those projects. Just leave those tabs open. I'm really getting into tab groups now. That sounds good. No, I did fiddle with the focus locations when the first beta came out, and I, I set up something fairly rudimentary, I think, so I get to work and it changes. But it's 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 kind of on location as much to, rather than times as the way that I've done it, so it knows when I walk down to work, which doesn't work so well when I'm at home. So, uh, you know, I work... Which is why well, I've done it time-based, because I generally am a creature of habit on my work schedule. Yeah, that, it makes sense to do it that way, but I quite like the sort of separation when I walk to work, it changes, but and, and I can live with it. It's not that critical to me. And I like it. I, th- I can see where they're going with that. It's a useful feature to have, I think, as we become even more normal and it's five days a week in work rather than three days a week in work, then I think that that's going to be even more useful to me, frankly. And, you know, some notifications from some apps not coming in while your work's definitely useful and then vice versa. As you say, you don't want to see your meetings. You don't want to necessarily get your work email after it's or, well, five thirty, six o'clock at night. If only we could all stick to that. But, you know, need to be more like the French, I think. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a useful feature. Tab groups, because I'm using Brave, they haven't hit me at all. You know, I, I understand the sort of logic behind it. I quite like, as you're talking there about, you know, I've got a project going on work. I've got these 15 tabs related to that with, you know, the, the project management software or whatever else is going on in that sort of space, as opposed to the work stuff when I'm doing podcasts or I'm researching buying a new TV or widget or something. Great. But as I say, I'm not using Safari, so it's not a lot used to me. And I got to say, I kind of know the tabs I need open, if you know what I mean. I, I know what instinctively what's meant to be around me, and I'm sure I could be more efficient in that. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting way of using it. Uh, I think what I like with the tab groups, though, and the new feature for this year is you can pin tabs as well. And so actually I can have a tab group for work. Maybe it's got our service desk on there and my document management piece on there and say the Microsoft uh, Office portal. You can have those as your first three pinned tabs. So you always know where they are they're in that tab group and they're pinned for the first say three tabs and i quite like having everything in the same place and where you now get the more space on ipad os you can have the tab bar open on the left hand side and you've got enough screen real estate to do it so I, i'm really enjoying the, these changes it's very i think the ios version solid tvs solid watchOS solid mac os seems okay from this small amount i've touched on it ipad os is really good but it's still too buggy. Yeah, you didn't add the word solid there. No. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read a few things, and I've been looking at Steve Troughton-Smith again about his development attempts to to work with Stage Manager. Stage Manager? Stage Manager. Yes. I got it right for once, sorry. And the fact that you can't really develop for it in the simulator at the moment without sort of hacking it up and you know sort of various PLS changes and things, it's not supported natively, even in the most recent beta 5 of Xcode beta. You think, that's not good. How are developers meant to develop for that environment if they still haven't got that far? Yeah, I don't disagree. I wonder whether there's something coming to Stage Manager and they're working on it and then they're going to be a big jump in what it does, how windowing works, because nothing's really happened it's just been really glacial what i'm running today it is less buggy than beta one 
but it's nowhere near where it should be at, at this point in the life cycle. Considering they must be working on this for years to get the whole windowing piece on. I think my original hypothesis hypothesis still stands in that they should have done it in chunks, give us more space, then give us windowing on, on the iPad and mirror to the screen, and then give us external display. I think they've just been off too much. Yeah, no disagreement for me. This could have been a lot better handled, and the fact that they haven't really given the developers the tools to put it out there presumably means it's quite hard for Apple to do it themselves. I would have thought so. Don't get me wrong, if they put it off, it's fantastic, but they've got some way to go. Well, they've given themselves another month. I wonder if that'll get pushed back again as well. It does feel punchy. Yeah, but so they're, they're up against it because at this point in the cycle, you know, we're getting quite close to September now when they release new iPhones and devices and things like that, and they finalize all these betas. I got to think there's not that not much road left to run for for some of these things. So you know, it's time to start buttoning up. And if they haven't made all these changes that you're expecting to from you know a couple of months now, it's probably not going to happen. I kind of agree, but then I also think back to Safari. Was it iOS 15 when they really messed with mobile Safari? And we had quite a, a run of not really, they, they were trying to make the new layout work. We had the, the hovering address bar and it didn't work. And then all of a sudden, right near the end, they changed it and did what they should have done originally, which was more evolutionary rather than revolutionary where they just moved the address bar to the bottom basically but it happened like last minute.com kind of thing so yeah. i wonder whether we're going to get that with stage manager but well, stage manager is fundamental to the core of the os yeah i don't i, I can't see it being the same thing because I, I agree with you so, mobile safari and safari on the mac when they moved the tab bar at the bottom and they started fiddling around with the changes came every single beta they'd fiddled with something they'd modified something you've told me the last four betas things have barely changed you know a little bit more stability but fundamentally it's the same thing they shipped with beta one so you're not seeing that evolution true i, w I wonder why they don't take it out of iPadOS 16.0 and release that in lockstep with iOS 16 and then put it in, leave it in the beta channel and then put it in a later dot one dot two. Yeah, fair. I agree. Again, I'm now only running the beta on my phone. My phone has been pretty damn stable, I gotta say. It's not heating up. It doesn't seem to be using the battery in any obscene way. It's just be it's it's like a production, with the exception of two banking apps that won't work. It's like a production release for my phone. I've got no issues with it at all. So uh, from that point of view, things are good. And and all the changes to TVOS, I'm glad you reported back on them because I don't think there's been any. There's certainly nothing that I've really noticed. I'd agree with you on the iPhone. I think the phone is it's ready for prime time. I'm still seeing a little bit of battery drain, but I've got a two-year-old phone. Whether that's related, I don't know. But And we've skipped the yeah. lead there slightly, actually, because in this version of the beta, they've put the percentage indicator back in the battery icon, haven't they? Oh, yeah, they have. Which, you know, that, that was sort of the big thing for this release of the beta. If you do want to see, without having to swipe down how much battery you've got left, you can now turn it on. I had it on for about four hours, I think, when I, when I realized it was there. I had to go in and deliberately switch it on. You've still got yours on. But I, th there's two things about that. One is, for me, so what they do is inside of the battery indicator itself, there's a little number correlating to the percentage that you have left, which is fine, but it made to, in my head, it made it look like the battery was always full. I'm used to watching the graphic gradually deplete over the day, and then I, I don't worry about it till it goes yellow, generally. It's sort of the way I've managed it up till now. Whereas now I can see the percentage all the time. I think there's a bit of cognitive sort of load there when you're sort of looking at it and going, oh, oh, the battery's oh, it's gone down a percent. Oh, it's gone down two percent. And I wasn't that bothered before. I just wait for the yellow color. So A, I don't really feel I need to see it anymore. And B, I don't think it was a very well-drawn icon. Couple of things on the battery. One, 
is the battery still the last holdout in skeuomorphism because it's got like the little point to the right hand side of it that makes it look like a duracell aa battery two when your battery is on 37 percent as mine was yesterday you still get a whole whited out battery so it looks like the battery's full but the numbers telling you it's not full so the visual indicator does not tally with the percentage that it's full which i find a bit baffling but then i thought it did look quite nice when it did go to orange it wasn't as much of an alert so i'm a bit mixed on the whole implementation i don't think it's perfect they've got enough pixels up there i think they could have done something a little cleverer um, and if it was this good why didn't they do the same implementation on the ipad no argument i, I don't think it's good enough I suppose some people really missed it, but it's not good enough, is it? To, to bring it back, it, I don't know. It just feels a bit half-baked. Yep, totally. Good. Okay, I think that'll do us for betas. We're not expecting any next week, but maybe the week after we'll get some updates. So, But yeah, it seems fairly solid, apart from the few things we've highlighted there. Moving on, there's an article in 9to5Mac this week about how Apple shouldn't be releasing any more HomePods until they fix the software. And my read on this is, yeah, there's problems with the software, but fundamentally, this boils down to Siri a lot of the time rather than the HomePod software itself. Yeah, sorry, I'd agree with that. I think you know, I've got some minis in my office, which are, I was going to say, hard linked to my Apple TV. That seems to work really, really well. They've nailed that. We've got some big HomePods up in the house. They work fine. I think they, for me, we largely use them just for playing music or setting a timer. I think I think they're pretty good. Other than Siri, I'm not sure what more you'd want the software to do. I don't know. I think it's reactiveness as much as anything else, isn't it? Because I quite I, and you're not sure, I suppose, to the point of the article. Does the problem lie with Siri feel it taking a while to recognise your voice, or is it then slow to do the thing you're asking it to do? Because I've quite often gone set a timer for X, and it's gone timer software is not installed, or I don't have alarms, or you know, it's it's replied things like that to me, which is really really poor. You know, or, or multiple timers, which was such a big deal to to get up and running in the first place, and it still doesn't handle them very well. You know, hey, I nearly said it. Hey, Dingus, add five minutes to the timer for X, and it goes, I don't know what you mean by that, or it'll give you some sort of mm -hmm. poor response. And it's that sort of basic functionality. It doesn't have to do much, like you say. It's got remind me in five minutes to do a thing and play a tune while I'm there, and it's not always that great at that. So I kind of I get the thrust of the article. I do. How much do you actually use Siri, though, on all of your Siri-enabled devices? I try not to on anything except the uh, the HomePods. In fact, I, I keep meaning to look how to switch it off on my watch because it'll just randomly trigger itself during the day for no good reason. And it annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, I've turned off my watch. I think it's in settings and under Siri. I do have it so I can push the button. I do use it on the watch. Say if I take some paracetamol or I park in the car, I'll go set a timer for, you know, four hours or for the hour I've parked the car. And that's the only thing I really use Siri for. In my car, I occasionally use it to just go, hey, play something I like or play some random song the kids want to listen to. But even then, the kids know it's 50-50 whether it's going to work or not in the car. So yeah, I'm, I'm mixed on Siri generally. I was never a big fan when it came out because if you remember, previous to Siri, you could do voice control on the iPhone 4, I think, and it would work offline. Like you could go, hey, phone Rod, and it would dial you from my car. And then when Siri came along, oh, you haven't got any internet. I need to, you know, connect and do it. So I never used to use it to begin with. And again, we've been talking about stage manager not really evolving. I've struggled to see where the last 11 years of Siri development have gone, because I think it came out in 2011. It doesn't feel, I, I never liked the name, by the way, and it doesn't feel like it's really gone on. It felt to me like they should give it a new name and relaunch it when they've, 
done significant engineering to you know really push push it forwards but it it's never really gone that way the thing that mystifies me the most is how good they've got a dictation in general. So I don't know if you ever use uh, on your iPad or, or on a Mac when you've got a Word document open and you just you talk and it types. I should probably do that more than I do, to be fair, but I, I generally don't. And I work in an office on my own half the time. Well, I understand why not, because most of us that work on our own have probably got music playing of some sort, some sort of shape, manner or form. So you've got to stop the music to do the dictation, but I do do it occasionally and I answer, occasionally answer text messages with it. I dictate occasionally in the car at text messages as well while I'm driving, etc, etc. And it's got really bloody good at that. You know, when you're talking and you put punctuation in and it can pick up my accent and it, it gets the thrust of what I'm saying most of the time. So if it can do all that and offline as well, why is Siri so bad? Agreed. And actually, my wife sends loads of text from her car where she's driving. And it does seem to work really well for her. And you get the little thing sent by Siri on the on the text, which is how I know she's using it in the car, which I'm happy she's using it in the car and not trying to use her phone. Do you know what, though? I'm normally listening to something in the car and I don't want to interrupt it to respond to a text message. So I barely use it. And I also probably have got years of history of it not working that well and probably haven't given it a chance, which is why I wonder whether they do need to rebrand it at some point and go, Right, we're going to relaunch Siri as Dave, and you're going to go, "Hey, Dave," and it's going to be amazing. And but I don't think they've got the technical side of it there yet. Well, I agree with you. If they wrote it from the ground up, I think it's got a chance of being a better product. And just on the you know the speaking out loud and it listens thing, I keep getting told at work people say, "Can you give us an answer for that, Rod?" And I'll dash something off the top of my head that I then can't replicate. So sometimes I actually think better by just opening my mouth and letting my belly rumble than I do when I'm actually trying to craft something very carefully when I'm typing away. So I, I sort of try and catch that lightning in a bottle as long as it's in my head as much as I can while I'm speaking because I know it will be gone really soon, so I appreciate that. And and it's, like I say, it's disheart disheartening to see how good they've got on one thing and how, as you've said, there's absolutely no improvement on another. Sad. And I'm sure there is improvement, but... Like in the 11 years of Siri, but it just feels glacial. Like it's just, you know, I'm sure they've done more with the natural speaking voices and it probably works way better and we're misremembering, but it's still not good enough. It's not good enough. It's, saying that, I don't use the uh, the Google or the uh, Alexa versions of this anymore either. So, you know, I, I don't really have a benchmark. Cortana died, didn't it? Is that still a thing on Windows? I don't know. I don't use Windows. I, I literally don't know. I'm sorry. This is it. I think maybe we've gone too far with these voice things. Anyway, that'll do us for the HomePod. Another story, 1Password8, which we're talking about the beta version last week or the week before has been released. Yeah, they've actually released it. It's fantastic. That's what I wanted to say on it. I know there's been a bit of blow up this week with Casey Liss and the people at 1Password. They're called Agile Bits. But I, I use it on my iPad, my iPhone. I'm very happy with it. I think they've done a cracking job. It's a great app. It's nice they modernized it. I haven't followed this. What's the blow up between Agile Bits and Casey Liss? Lots of bemoaning that you, if you quit the app, it doesn't then work and you need to have it running up in the taskbar, yeah, the, the menu bar or something. Because I, I, I'm not a Mac person, I didn't really get too far into it. Uh, there was just a little bit of hoo-ha about that publicly over the last week. But I do think the iOS stuff, they've done a really good job with it. And if they've got to make it more universal for their business model, then fine. But I think they've done a good job of supporting the platform as natively as possible. So is he just whinging about the fact that it's Electron now as much as anything? Is he? I think there's been bits of that and bits of having it running all the time or something. I, yeah, I've just caught the tail end of it. Sure. Well, I mean, I use it on a Mac all day, every day. I use it as part of my work thing. I use it for my home thing. I share passwords with it. I do all sorts of things. And I've been running, I said, nearly said iOS. I've been running uh, one password beta since it came out on the Electron version. 
And initially I thought it wasn't as good, but I've forgotten very, very quickly that it's an Electron app. I run the few Electron apps between Teams and Slack and this and the odd other thing that comes along, and I think it's perfectly fine. In some ways I think it's a better app than it was when it was Mac Native because it feels exactly the same when I do jump onto my phone or I do jump onto the Linux version or the Windows version of it. I like the functionality that they've added with the ability, I've, I talked about it when we were you know, giving our app recommendations a few weeks back, that I can now fire up a window that is just a hand for populating anything that's, you know, be it an application on it or a password I want to remember for later or a one-time password for my two-factor authenticator for something else. It integrates well enough with the system that I don't begrudge it running in the taskbar all the time because I want it there because I use it so much. Completely agree. I think it's it's great. And do you know what? Actually, the previous iterations of 1Password were getting a little dated. They'd been around a long time. They hadn't picked up some of the more modern design principles. I think they've done a good job. And I do get that big companies need to write code once and not three or four times. So I think they've done, I think they've done a good job with the tools available. I don't really know much about the background of it on the iPad or the iPhone. I just want it to be as secure as possible. And I think it looks nice. I'm very comfortable with it. I'm not, I'm not moving away from it anytime soon. I agree. I've got no issues with it whatsoever. And in fact, when you look at some of the alternatives that are offered, they don't do some of the things, even as an Electron app that this does. So the two-factor integration is better than the one you get in Keychain because it's recognized by more websites. The Keychain version of two-factor authentication that's built into your Mac or your, your phone isn't as good. So, and some alternatives don't even offer it. So I know I think it's BitKeeper is another sort of one of these password management apps doesn't offer two-factor authentication in one of its versions. What use is that? You, you need to be on the cusp of what is the cutting edge of security. It's got, and it's got to work for you. And for me, 1Password works better than it ever has. And I don't, I guess everybody works in a different way. It's not fair to criticize somebody who doesn't, you know, appreciate some particular aspect of it. It's running all the time. Seems a bit crazy to me for something so fundamental as a password manager. But I, I've got no issues with it. And I still, I'd endorse the, you know, this version of 1Password. Yeah, I completely agree. Endorse it. I think it's fantastic. Anybody asked me they want a password manager, I recommend 1Password. Uh, I think uh, Apple's doing an okay job, but they need to have a separate app for it now because people just don't know it's there or understand it. Yeah, I agree. And just to say, 1Password and Agile Bits are not a sponsor of the show. But also, I'm with you. I think there is Keychain for Windows now, but that leaves out you know, Keychain for Linux or Keychain for other things that people may have. These things have to be cross-platform. People live in lots and lots of worlds, and they may not have very small usage of it, but they need to offer something so people can get out the passwords when they're on those other platforms. And still, what I said at the start... The fact that things like two-factor aren't supported across the thing or only in a very specific way is very Apple. We're only going to support it to this level and not everything. And that's not good enough. You know, people have the passwords. You need to make it as easy, as, as friction-free for them to get on and use them. And I know they're moving to pass codes. Is that what they're moving to? Is that the... Keys. Pass keys, which is coming, but very little supports that yet. We're not there. You've got to support what's there now. And one password does, and some of the other ones do. But I agree with you. I don't think it's pervasive enough, the Apple keychain, for them to... Yeah, I, as much as I'm in the Apple ecosystem, I'm very comfortable to stay with 1Password and have something that's not tied to OS because I do use Windows occasionally and I want my passwords to log into my Steam account or my Origin account. I've got my PlayStation. You know, I've got other things. I'm very comfortable with it. And I like that it goes off and recommends stuff. And also I do worry what happens when Apple stop putting energy into passwords and it gets a little neglected. I like the features that 1Password do and it tells me if I've reused a password or if it's how good it is. And 
you know, if a site's been attacked and is vulnerable and or comes up in their Watchtower report. So I'm, I'm very comfortable with it. Yep, good. Okay, I think we can agree on that one. So moving on, next story. Apple and... F- no, I've, I've, I've jumped ahead. Apple have held up an app update to the messaging platform Telegram because they didn't like the emoji they were using. I don't want to say on this one. I don't use Telegram. I do get... It smells of Apple get upset when people do anything with emoji. I don't know why they're, it's not like they own Emoji. They own their implementation of it. So it's a bit of an odd one, this, isn't it? I, I think holding up a top 10 App Store messaging application because you're a little bit upset with an art style is ridiculous. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. Agreed. Surely that's pushing their powers again too far, isn't it? It totally is. They're, they're overstepping the boundary a little bit. I mean, it's they don't have to, let's face it, it's their business. They don't have to host any of these things. But the fact Telegram has been a feature of the App Store for as long as it has, is relied on by so many people, particularly with the war in Ukraine and some sort of the more repressive regimes around the world, with people that rely on these kind of messaging apps. Holding up updates, which I, I know it's something silly, it's emoji, but it could be a security update. It could be all manner of things and that are already baked into this for the next version of it. It's just, it's puerile, for want of a better word, of them to hold it up for a reason like this. Yeah, agreed. Bonkers. Yeah, you'd have thought they'd have bigger fish to fry. Yeah, it just makes them look like a bad actor and they should be better. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Good. Okay, I think we don't need to say any more about it. I just wanted to highlight it was a thing. The next story is also making Apple look quite scummy, I think. So not that long ago, certainly in the last year or so, I think... Apple put these sort of calorie counter type warnings on privacy within websites. So you'd get when you go to launch something like Facebook as an application, this app collects this sort of data about you. This app, you know, is likely to you know have contact information. It's going to access the internet. It's going to do this, that, and the other thing. And the initial reports we saw when they did this, Facebook pushed back quite hard. Was that Facebook lost forty percent of their advertising revenue because people weren't launching the app when they saw this the warnings attached to the Facebook app, which. At the time, I was very happy about because I don't think Facebook is a good actor. I don't think they do anything good with their data at all. I've been through that before. So I was okay with Apple's stance on this. But it, now it seems a little more nuanced than that. Yeah, so I've, I haven't read a huge amount about this, but I kind of agree with you. Those labels came out, I think, on the App Store year and a, see, over a year ago, I'm going to guess. But actually, do you know what? I don't think I've, I've ever really looked at them in that much detail. I probably should when I'm downloading a new app. So, I, and there was quite a bit of controversy about it. And then they did the app tracking transparency piece, didn't they, as iOS 14. That's when the app pops up, which occasionally happens on the Apple TV and just looks crap <laughs> the way it makes you select what you want it to do. So th- there's that bit of it. So Apple's obviously dialing back. And now it's come out that apparently Apple wanted a slice of Facebook's revenues, which does seem very counter to everything Apple have been saying, doing, and they've been trying to put these methods in place to protect people's privacy and that transpires actually they try to get a cut of the action yeah Did they try and get a cut of the action before they put these methods in place it sounds like it was some sort of bargaining tool doesn't it to me is that apple felt that they were not getting money from facebook as part of the advertising that they did and they wanted to leverage that a little bit so i wonder if it was a threat to facebook that they'd be badged in this way without getting it. I mean, it, it it's it's hard to say I, I guess without knowing the full story yet but as you say, it's it seems very underhand that they should have been try a should have been trying to do this in the first place, and b that you know Facebook have lost business as a consequence. So obviously Apple had a big stick to hit them with here, but it's scummy dealing with a company like this. It fundamentally is. It just it's a bad look for them when when they keep telling us 
how Facebook's doing a bad job and then they protect your privacy. But by the way, we, we tried to share some of the money with them last year. It's a bit like with the Google deal of putting Google is the de facto search engine, isn't it? It just feels a bit yeah. I mean, and, you've, and, it, and it does come out. It, it does. And you read, the, you read the detail of this. And one of the ideas discussed by Apple and Facebook was to create an ad-free version of Facebook for a monthly subscription. Apple insisted the monthly subscription be offered through the App Store's payment system, system thereby giving it a 30% slice of all revenue. Surely Apple's got enough business to deal with. Like, rather than going after the other big companies and taking a piece of their pie. I mean, is this part of Apple wanting to have a social media, social networking system of some sort as well? Or is this them just being greedy and wanting to get back all the money they can get via the App Store? Feels like greed and growing. Maybe this is one of their targets of growing service revenue. How can we grow our services revenue with properties that exist on, not through Apple, but exist on the App Store? And therefore, can they grow it that way? It, I don't know. I think Apple should focus on put energy into other things. Well, I mean, this is the dichotomy, isn't it? And it make, the reason this makes me quite annoyed is that they take a stance on how important your privacy is to them. But your privacy is only important to us as long as we're making a few dollars out of it. And that that's not right. Uh, agreed. Uh, yeah, agreed. I mean, I think you and I are on Apple's platforms because they're the least creepy of all the platforms out there. And I don't believe you or I do a huge amount with the meta part of the world. I've tempted to buy one of their VR headsets, but I'm put off because it, I had to go and get a Facebook account. And I was like, I don't really want any of that. Thank you very much. No, exactly the same. I, I've, I've left the Facebook stuff behind, the meta stuff as far behind as I can. And I, I feel slightly better for it. But yeah, this, this doesn't make me feel great about Apple either. Anyway, on that slightly down thing, this, a Samsung released some new hardware this uh, or announced some new hardware this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm not normally that aware of what's going on in the wider world of Android and Samsung, but I, I was just a little interested because I do fancy uh, a new watch this year when Apple up, update the Series 8. And part of me was excited that we might have a slightly new design. I thought, great, I fancy something a bit different. And then part of me said, oh, no, Apple aren't really doing anything with the watch. It's going to be the same as it's always been. So... I then saw the Samsung watch come out. So they're doing what they're calling the Series 5 as well. So they're doing the Series 5 and then they're doing the Series 5 Pro, I think they called it, which is more ruggedized, got bigger battery. And it's kind of very much rumored around what Apple are doing, but we obviously haven't seen it yet. I just had a look at it and I thought, actually, it looks quite, they look kind of cool, the watches. Nice and I do like the round watch. I do wonder whether Apple made a mistake going square. What, what do you think? I'm with you on that. And when the, is it, is it called Wear? That's the platform Google have for their for the devices, I think. When Wear would support either sort of squared off designs or circular designs, you, you could pick either or. And almost all of them universally settled on the circular one because that's how watches look to human beings. You know, watches have always been round. And it, I suppose it's become kind of iconic, but... I mean, Apple's rounded rectangles are everywhere. You know, they're in the in the OS, they're on, on iPads, they're on phones, they're on a Macs. It would be nice to switch it up a little bit and try something a bit different. And I, I would like to see an implementation of watchOS that could support round hardware. So I get that my watch looks the shape of an icon on my iPhone. I get that's probably where they got it from. But surely what's better than a rounded rectangle? Just a round circle. I mean, yeah, I kind of think they should have gone that way. I would have liked to have seen it round. I just think it looks cool and it looks more watch-like, as you say, and less like a computer. But I guess they're leaning more into the computer side of it. 
Yeah, it's fair. And I look around sort of the market in wearables. I mentioned last week, my brother-in-law was running the Ironman and he wears some amazing Garmin fitness tracker thing on, on his wrist when he's running around. It has got months of battery life, but is still able to display his splits and his runs and do all this kind of stuff as well. And you think these things are possible with a lower impact watch and, and sorry, one that's not running as many things as the Apple watches. So you think, what is actually possible? And in, in the same, you know, it's a round watch that he wears on his wrist. It's capable of doing heart rate sensing and all that kind of stuff with lots of battery. Why is the Apple watch so bad at that? You know, I have to charge mine, my latest version one, every night or it's flat. And I'll, we've talked about the Apple watch. I won't, I won't beat it to death again. It's a great platform, but it could be so much better. And, and just design-wise, you're quite right. There are many other things they could try that I think would be very successful. They could pursue a number of routes while still maintaining the core functionality of the device. And it would be a good way to go. Yeah, and I was going to say, it hasn't evolved that much since they did the retooling around Watch OS 2, I'm going to say. Whenever they realize that people don't want to communicate that much on the watch, and it is about tracking and, uh, and notifications, that's its core reason for being. And for me, making all my payments, I do use the Apple Wallet on it a huge amount. So... They've not evolved it that much. Surely the way that Swift UI work, and it's a declarative visual framework, that could you actually change the shape of the, the, the display port? And because it's declarative and not set pixel perfect, would it all just float? It'd be interesting to see. I'm sure they could do something like that. So, and I love the idea of a pro watch. I'm, I've, I've kind of come around to it. I want to go and get myself something that looks a bit smarter. So I'm quite keen on getting a stainless one when they come out the shore or whatever the metal may be. But just something a bit bit smart to wear to work. But equally, I want something a bit more robust, you know, when I'm out doing more social things or running or whatever it may be. So I'm curious to see where Apple go and how much they follow Samsung. I can see Apple, though, sticking with the Square Watch because it's iconic now. They've really lent into it. Everybody knows that if you've got the Square Rect, it's an Apple Watch without even having to look any further. Yeah, it's a fair point. And let's face it, there's not much competition for them. The Google Wear stuff isn't massively taking off particularly. And all I see is Fitbit declining. You know, I see less and less Fitbit trackers on people's wrists. So... Yeah, agreed. I mean, they're winning, so they're going to keep going, aren't they, I guess? They are. And for people that like a watch, they're still going to go out and wear their tags or their Rolexes or their Omegas or their, you know, uh, swatches or whatever it is they like because they like a watch and they like that ability to change them. And so that sort of end of the market's not going to change anytime soon. And Apple seem to have this more or less sewn up. But I, I'm with you. It, it, I, it's good to see Samsung doing still doing something in this space and pushing it forward a little bit. Apple need the competition and it might push them to do something more interesting. They also released a bunch of phones which fold, but I think we'll talk about that in the main show a little bit rather than go into the detail here. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. But you're right, it's good to see him releasing new stuff that isn't just what Apple are doing. Yep. Good. Okay, so our next story is about Google's current advertising campaign to push what's RCS messaging in the States. So we've talked about this before. RCS is Google's proposal to change text messaging to being a more open standard because Google are fed up of seeing green bubble friends pop up on text messaging. Yeah. So, sorry, I was just lo loading this one up to have a look at it. I don't, I don't know what I think about this. The majority of people I deal with are blue buddies. They're, I don't use WhatsApp at all. I don't use Facebook Messenger. I don't really use anything else other than iMessage. I'm quite happy with how it works. I don't mind that some of my mates are in green. It doesn't really cause me any problems. I get we want to move on. I, I'm not against moving forwards with this. Why do you think Apple are not really engaging in the conversation well i don't think they need to as you say people who are in an apple ecosystem generally don't care and 
I think this is an almost exclusively American pro problem. So just zipping back a little bit, this ad campaign is to get rid of exactly that. They don't want there to be green bubble and blue bubble, blue bubble friends. They just want there to be a messaging standard no matter what device you're on as the default text messenger on the app. It's not affecting WhatsApp or Telegram or Facebook Messenger or any of these other things. And the, the, the advertising campaign is hashtag get the message. So they want to do that group chat and it not go to, you know, green bubble friends, which is fine. They've talked about it for a little bit of, bit of time. And I, I understand vaguely where Google are coming from. It, they're at a competitive disadvantage when high school seniors and things like that will only have iPhones because they don't want to have green bubble friends in, in the thing. So for Google, it's a marketing, a development, a marketing thing. But equally, it is for Apple. They've got that cachet now of having the blue bubble thing. There's no requirement for them to move to a slightly less secure messaging standard, really. And it's just Google having a bit of sour grapes. And to me, the bigger thing about this is this isn't the first time Google have had another go at a messaging platform. In fact, I think they have 10 messaging platforms available at the moment across their platforms, which is just insane. That is bonkers. I mean, this shows where Google's got too much money. They've bought up all these things. They've tried, to, they've tried to make them work, and, and, and they just haven't worked. I love that Siri's kicked in, by the way. That's awesome. The most annoying thing about Siri kicking in there is while you were telling me he could switch it off, I switched it off while we were talking, and it still managed to put itself on somehow, so that's good. But that's a good point, to actually, for me to read out. If you want a messaging app from Google at the moment, you could have... Google Talk, Google Voice, Google Buzz, Google Plus Messenger, Hangouts Spaces, Allo, Hangouts Chat, and Google Messages. So that's all the ways you can communicate with Googly people inside of their platform. You didn't say Google Meet in there. That's the only one I think I am aware of because that's their conferencing platform. Yeah. And I have used that with partners that have partnered with Google. But that's the only one I've heard of and was the one you didn't say. The rest of them are just noise to me. Yeah. I mean, but th but this is sort of on your phone as a texting thing, where as opposed to like a Zoom or a, or a Teams. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So what are we saying then? Apple should just stick their guns. Leave iMessage as it is. SMS stays as it is. Done. I think so. SMS is the bog standard basic that you get on every phone. It works well enough. In America, it might be a problem that you could green bubble friends, but you can still talk to them. You know, it's fine. I don't see it as that much of a problem. And in Europe... I think most of us are on WhatsApp or Telegram or Facebook Messenger or something like that. I know you're probably a sort of a standout in that. I, I am massively a standout with friends that, and which family. Is, which is fine, but I think most people have moved to one of these, particularly in the UK, as I look around the various sort of groups and things that my family and things use, WhatsApp is by far the most dominant platform. Hockey meets are managed it, prom things are organised with it, quite a lot of businesses use it to get in touch with them. It's, and I don't like it because it's meta, that evil company meta we were talking about a minute ago, but it is the way that it is. It doesn't matter if, if you're on your text messages turn green because everybody's on WhatsApp. Apart from me. Apart from you, but I suspect right. I suspect your good lady wife probably uses it in some way, shape, manner, or form. Definitely. Like you say, the football club's on it for the children, the scouts group, whatever it may be, it's all done in WhatsApp and therefore my wife sorts it all out. Yeah, exactly. So you're 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 able to sail along in your in your blue bubble friend world without hassle. But it's just it's interesting to me. It's just about market penetration and things like that. Google don't want WhatsApp running away with it. And Apple's an easy target in this because they're obvious inside of the default messaging app that comes with a phone. Well, one of the ten default messaging apps that come with a phone. So um, I was going to say for all yeah. of Google's attempts, they've just been massively left behind, haven't they? But this is it. It's just a distraction, and they they could have had such a lead in this marketplace. When you remember back in the day when they supported, I think it was the. Jabber protocol 
when when Google Vo- Google well, I can't even remember what it was called at that point. The very first version of Google Chat, Google Chat, when it came along, used Jabber, and that was a you know an open source standard that anybody could plug into. And we've talked about it before. Some of the apps we used to use back in the day on Mac so also supported that standard. And if you were on Google or if you were on whatever one of the competing ones were, they were just interoperable. In fact, iMessage was interoperable briefly with the same standard, and you could message across those things. So, you think an iChat? iChat. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember those days. Those days when open standards were everywhere, as opposed to now, where we're all locked inside of our closed gardens. But yeah, interesting. Interesting, and I would imagine Apple is going to stay stum on this one and not not engage. Yeah, until some legislator comes along and cracks them open with a big stick. I think this is where we are. Agreed. Good. Okay, that's quite a lot of news this week. <laughs> It's quite a lot of news. Should we move on to media? We haven't got much in media this week. So uh, the first one was a friend of mine put me onto this podcast called The Diary of a CEO. And we don't often cover podcasts. So I thought I'd add a podcast in, into the media section this week. And it's with this gentleman called Stephen Bartlett, who is incredibly young. He's about 29. He's a multimillionaire that set various businesses. He's a dragon in the UK on Dragon's Den, but only this year, which I haven't seen actually. But he's interviewed a, a bunch of other people at that sort of level whether they're being a CEO or a marketing officer or whatever it may be. And I just found it a really interesting show. So I was just calling up the few I listened to. So he had Johnny Wilkinson for 10 minutes, just a bit about him at his level. But then he had the Five Guys CEO in for the UK. And it was just really interesting listening to a little bit about how Five Guys came to the UK. And and it's just, what do you know what's important to Five Guys? Burgers and fries. Don't care about anything else. That's all they care about. They, they just want to do one thing really well. And it's all about burgers and fries. And then the rest of it will come. But it just had, had an interesting bunch of people on it. it. even had James Bay, the singer-songwriter on there. And he was just talking a bit about how he became big very quickly and de- dealing with all of that. And I just found it quite interesting of just the, the range of people he's interviewing. I haven't listened to that many, but it's definitely one I'm enjoying and going to continue to listen to, I think. It does sound fascinating. I'm, I'm flicking through it. I've put the link in the show notes to the podcast. Malcolm Gladwell, I can see Karen Brady, you know, he's Chris Eubank Jr., Jimmy Carr. That's that's quite a variety of people he's interviewed on, on, on his podcast. So And to talk about, you know, success and, and, and all that kind of stuff in those perspectives from a sports star to a comedian to a musician, you know, and, and to business people, like you say, that is quite interesting. Well, that's a good recommendation. I'm going to add that to my list as well. Yeah, and there was a really good one with Rory Sutherland talking about marketing. And they're like, one of the taglines, I think, at the start was, let's not get you between London and Europe any quicker, because that's really hard to do. But what would really help sell the experience is the experience of going from London to Europe on Eurostar. You know, if it was much nicer, much more comfortable, sell the dream kind of thing, rather than selling the speed or trying to, you know, make a moonshot on the speed, you can make a moonshot on the experience. And it was just quite interesting just how he portrayed a few stories. I really enjoyed it. I just thought others might too. No, that's good. That's a good recommendation. So it's in the show notes for those that are interested. It's the Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett. Moving on in media. So I've only got a little bit of recommendation. It's still the last episode of For All Mankind came out yesterday. I haven't watched it yet. I'm saving it up because I might have a new shiny purchase to watch it, watch it on. And I was watching other shiny things on it last night. So I didn't get a chance. So I want to give it my full attention. So a couple of the other things I was watching on there was I finished Moon Knight, which is a Disney Plus series. It's another Marvel superhero character and Ms. Marvel, which came on immediately after. And I've, I've kind of clumped them together here. I initially didn't enjoy Moon Knight and it's got 
Oscar Isaac is the star of it, who was Poe Dameron in the Star Wars movies. He's really good. Quite an unusual superhero movie in that he is split personality. He has multiple personalities. And I actually think they do a really good job of dealing with mental health issues for a fairly ridiculous off-the-wall superhero type show. A, the acting is amazing. B, bits of it are set in London, which is always nice to see. You know, it's nice to see these things happen in the UK. And it's handled really sensitively. Well, relatively sensitively. And what it has in common with Ms. Marvel is an appreciation of other cultures other than, than American or, or, or British ones. It's very much set in uh, the Middle East, Moon Knight. It's set in Cairo and in, in Egypt towards the latter part of it. Uh, and all the culture of, of Egyptian gods and all that kind of stuff are built into it. And then flipping over to Miss Marvel, which we've only watched three of, is set in America, but deals with, with a Muslim superhero. So a, a Muslim teen growing up in America and what that attendant looks like in, in the setting of modern day America. I just think it's fantastic that they're actually beginning to explore this a little bit more and not just doing the same vanilla blamange stuff that comes out all the time with these kinds of things. Uh, I, I concur. I haven't watched either, but like you, it's nice to see a hero be be a different person from a different culture, from a different place. I'm, I'm into that, definitely. Yeah, so just a little recommendation to me. that The Moon Knight... It starts off in a sort of fairly generic way, but I quite like the way they integrate it in. But so far, I'm thoroughly enjoying Ms. Marvel for that different perspective on things. It's re it's really well handled. I feel like I'm getting behind on the TV side. I haven't got into a new series recently. Actually, I, I did go in, in the lounge the other night and Shetland was on in the UK. And I've never seen, never seen any of them before. And it got me in. It was just it reminds me of what I liked about British TV of just a short run of, of episodes around and this was a murder case basically or potential murder case or a missing person and it was just really interesting just grabbed me and it i don't know about you but how often do you go in a room with a television and you just watch something that you weren't planning to watch or stream and it was just on because the tv's on we barely have that these days i think we largely go to go to an app to browse something rather than going up and down the channels to have a look like you would have done 20 years ago yeah, I mean, that's definitely the one that one way consumption of television has changed, hasn't it? Or, or media in general is that you know what you want and you go and find it. And I know Netflix is an algorithm to discover things and Amazon Prime does to a certain extent and all the rest of it. I'll suggest these things based on what you've been watching. But that, I'll just pick a thing and let it wash over me. You know, it's, it, it's gone. That event television, with the possible exception of Peaky Blinders, I'd say, has kind of left us. It's rare that you're looking for the next thing to come out on terrestrial television. You know, in that sort of delivered week by week format. Agreed, completely agreed. And actually, do you know a film I did pick up just on iTunes this week for a few pounds was War Games. I've never seen War Games with Matthew Broderick from what the eighties? I think it's eighty three it came from. He's obviously very young in it and it's before he did Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But I've never seen it, but right in my wheelhouse. And uh, I did start watching it last night and partway through. And I'm really enjoying it, actually, because I've never seen it before. I know what the, 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 the concept of it is. But actually, it's done really well. And it, I know, obviously, all the computer equipment's pretty outdated now, but, but it's a 4K version, and it stood up really well. The quality of the film and the acting, I thought, was very good. Like I say, it's time. I'm quite enjoying it. I can tell you're younger than me because I saw War Games not long after it came out. And yeah, it is a great film and it is a classic. And I, I really liked it. The Whopper, is that the name of the computer? W-O-P-R, yeah. The Whopper. It's, it's a brilliant name, isn't it? It just makes me think of Burger King. But I, I'm, I'm generally enjoying it and quite impressed with the conceit of how they actually made, in essence, a hacker interesting because films have struggled to do that. Michael Mann did Black Hat after he'd done Heat and very famous and it was just not that exciting and i think it's hard 
to make like an IT hackery sort of film sometimes interesting to a wider audience. I think they've done quite a good job with it in war games. Yeah, I agree. It's and I'm also with you on the hacker thing. There's very few well-represented hacker movies. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Swordfish with Hugh Jackman in it. I have seen Swordfish, and I think there was Firewall with Harrison Ford, which was dodgy. Yeah, some really bad ones out there. That so yeah. I liked I liked it a lot. There's a little bit of hacking in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. Now I think about it, doesn't he hack in and change his grades? A bit like he did in War Games. Yeah, exactly. Like so, he'd obviously learned from War no, Games. No, he cha- the- he changes the number of days off that he's had sick, doesn't he? In Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's what he does. That's what he does. Yeah, he's upset his sister got a car and he got a computer. It's a great film, Bueller. Yeah. Okay. Good. I think that does us for media, doesn't? It? We'll have a fairly rapid rattle through games as well. Yep, so just a brief one from me. Platoon 3, Nintendo did a, a half an hour segment all about it. This is obviously a big property for them. I've got Splatoon 2 on my Nintendo Switch. I enjoy doing the solo campaign, but I'm not really into the multiplayer thing. I just like the, the, the concept of it. I haven't played it for a little while, but I did pre-order Splatoon 3 because Nintendo is thing where you buy a couple of vouchers and you can get some of their latest £50 games and you get like a tenner off each one. So I did did buy this and... Mario Strikers recently for my son. I wondered if you'd seen it or has Splatoon ever entered your world? Yeah, so I had the original Splatoon on, was that the Wii U? I think Splatoon came out on the Wii U initially. Quite possibly, I never played it. Which which I had for that and that went down quite well with my kids. And then I have Splatoon 2 for the Wii. No, not the Wii, the Switch. But they didn't get on with that quite so well. Partially because... I had the Nintendo Plus, I forget what the subscription thing is for Nintendo, the Nintendo Direct, whatever the thing is that lets you play it online. Nintendo Online, I think yeah, it's good. It has a very limited implementation without that. So the second that sort of rolled over, and went away, the game effectively became useless to them. So right. the, the, that made me lose interest. And as a consequence, I've had absolutely zero interest in Splatoon 3. That's fair enough. I quite like the idea that you've got a... A game, and look, we all like to go around and shoot stuff, I think it's fair to say. But it's quite a nice implementation. You're shooting paint. You know, it's not bullets, it's not bloody. I just I just quite like the concept of it. I think it's a good game, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to see if I can get my children into it. And it comes out on the 8th of September. Fair enough. I've just popped into the show notes now, though. It's something that may or may not appeal. I don't know if you can get it on the whole things. There's a thing called Power Wash Simulator which came out about 10 days ago on a variety of platforms. You can get it on Steam. I'm pretty sure you can get it on Switch. You can get it on Xbox. I think you can get it on PlayStation. It sounds like it should be sponsored by Kasha. Quite possibly. It's. I, it, I've only just clicked the link, by the way, after I said that. It's ridiculous, but there's something quite zen about it. All you're doing is you're cleaning mud off for a variety of things, is what you do. And the, it, it does sort of, and you can play it collaboratively as well. You can get a friend on there and the pair of you can clean stuff up. And that's literally all it is, is you're cleaning people's backyards, they're cleaning their vans, and you, you make more money. You can buy pressure washers and you go along. And you get a satisfying little ding when you've cleaned the thing you're looking to 100%. So it was free on Xbox Live Arcade. So Xbox Game Pass, I should say. So I downloaded it, I had a go at the first two levels. It, like I say, it's quite zen. You know, you get the noise of the shh of the water coming out and, and off you go. So if you if you like Splatoon and want something even less violent, maybe you should be showing your kids. That. This is something I think my children would enjoy. And it reminds me of a game that they played um, on an iPad in, in like a, a electronics place here in the UK. And it's called, just, it, it, the game is called, it's literally just mowing and you drive like a lawnmower around and just cut grass. I'm going to stick the link in the show notes. But it's something my, I could see my boys playing because it's right up their street, I think, of just a silly game. But 
I don't know. It looks looks the graphics look pretty good on it for what, for what it is, but I don't think it's the type of game I'd I'd play that much. It, they call it like a dad game because it sort of appeals to that you know get outside and clean a thing. You know, I've achieved something today, part of your brain. I don't think it's unique to dads because let's face it, we clean very little else, or certainly I do. So you know, I, there's something about that. Anyway, I thought I'd pop it in there because I did have a go of it, and you know, it's it's it might be worth mentioning. Yeah, no, it is worth mentioning. It, it, I think it does look kind of cool. And there are, I think what is good about the games market at the moment is you can get anything in your wheelhouse, I think. If there's something you're into, whether it's model trains, farming, shooting stuff, there's a game there that's made for you, I think. And it is great that it's not just all the AAA titles. There are niche indie games. I think it's good that it's out there. Somebody will enjoy that. And obviously somebody's enjoyed making it. Absolutely. And hopefully it's making a little bit of money over it too. Yes. But Good. then you're playing it for free. I'm playing it for free. I am, as I often do. And that I'm playing it for even freer now. It's been given away with my, my BT OpenReach account for, for, for a year, is that they gave me a year's free Xbox Games Pass. So I cancelled the thing that was on there. And now I'm I'm enjoying on both my Xboxes, my Xbox Games Pass for a year with, with no outlay, which is even better. Yeah, I I kind of started looking at EE because EE in the UK is owned by BT. And if I move to them, I could save about £15 a month on my broadband bill and get game, Xbox Game Pass for free. And I was just like, this, this feels like, like craziness. Did, didn't you get rid of your Xbox? I did get rid of my Xbox. Uh, I can still use the Game Pass on my PC, I guess. I don't yeah, know. yeah, you can. Uh, in fact, I use it on my Steam Deck, don't I? So it maps directly to my Steam Deck, and I can use the streaming version of my Steam Deck. So you could still be getting your Forza fix on your, on your iPad with a, an Xbox controller, if you want to. Yeah, I, annoyingly though, I can't move my home internet for six months, which has cheesed me off a little bit. But the saving per month, considering the broadband would be provided by the same company and it's the same package, it seemed a bit odd to me. Weird. Okay, moving on. Papers, please. We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. The sort of border crossing simulator of an old Soviet republic of some sort came out on iOS. It's been properly resized for it. I didn't have to buy it again because I'd obviously bought the iPad version at some point. Still a terrific game. Sucked me straight back in, sitting playing it again for a good 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, really well done. If you have never experienced Paper, Please, I'd recommend that you try it. I'm confused here. When, when Timmy said it was coming out, I was like, well, what does that mean? Because I've already got Papers, Please, or I bought it years ago on the iPhone and it used to work on the Apple Watch. So is it just a re-release and update? He's rescaled it all to fit properly on phone screens as opposed to just seeing being some vaguely universal version that it was before. Right, okay, because it hadn't been updated in five years. So that makes sense. This this developer should definitely have charged an upgrade for this. But, yep, I've, I've, I've got it. I've just downloaded it and I'm quite looking forward to having another go on it. Yeah, it's great, honestly. That'll do for holiday. That will do for holiday. Although it's not threes, it's, it's good that you give it a shot. Did I mention I beat my best score in threes lately? You, you didn't, but I'm really glad that you did. And the last one for me, for the, for the games, is Steam had a bundle going for sort of nautical strategy games, and I'd had my eye on one of them for a while, and that was Aircraft Carrier Survival, which is sort of World War II. You're in control of an aircraft carrier. You need to sort your flights out to bomb things and recover them and sort of refuel them and all that kind of stuff as well as moving the aircraft carrier. And it's fairly simplistic in terms of graphics and things, but it's good fun. You know, it's I've spent about... I don't know, a good hour on it, I think, this week, just looking at it. It's 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 a fun little game. If you're into that kind of stuff, it scratches some sort of itch I've got, that's for sure. Really liked it. And as a co- I also happened to get a, a U-Boat game as well. I used to quite like Silent Service back in the day. I'm a Commodore 64 on my Amiga, a bit of uh, submarine stuff. So I've just have, uh, started having a look at U-Boat as well, but Aircraft Carrier Survival we've been playing with, and I, I liked it a lot. So between that and pressure washing stuff, I've had quite a good week. 
It's quite a quite a juxtaposition there. <laughs> Can you pressure washer an aircraft carrier and merge the two worlds together? I bet it's in there. If I kept going with power wash simulator, I'm sure it'd be in there. I guess as you build up to bigger bigger items. It looks good. And Steam always amazes me with the sheer A quantity and B amazing sales. They do a they know how to do a sale. They really do. If you if you're ever down on games, like if you ever actually do manage to pre-order a Steam Deck for yourself, the amount of games that will work on it by the time it comes and the, the cheapness at which you'll get them will blow you away. Yeah, I still haven't pre-ordered one because I got cheesed off with the website not working. Yeah, fair enough. I, I completely understand. In the same way that the, uh, oh God, the play date messed me about trying to order that. It's it's ridiculous how hard it is to give companies your money sometimes. And I literally have no idea when my play date is coming. I got asked to convert my address about a month ago. Thought it might have, right, two months ago, because I thought it might arrive for my birthday. And two months later, I, I have no idea when I'm getting it. I'm very sorry. You never know. It might pitch up. Anyway, main show, which might be shorter because we've already done over an hour. So main show. Can I tell you about my new television yet? Yeah, please do. I love a bit of tech. Good. Okay. So I finally decided the one I wanted and I did swither between this and the G variant of it. So I have bought, I'll, I'll say the model number, an LG OLED 65 CL4 4LA, which is a 65 inch second generation OLED television with a particular processor in it. What this gives you is a 65 inch screen with a nice OLED, so you get nice black blacks, you get very bright, bright lights with some very, very clever processing in it that can run at 120 Hertz. So that supports my PlayStation and it's variable refresh rate. It supports all sorts of things. It's got lots of HDR modes and basically it's a really good panel. It's the 2022 model. There is a slightly improved version of it, which is the G2, which also came out, but it's another 800 quid. What that gives you is the same panel that's in, if you follow the ATP pro podcast, John Syracuse has just bought a new Sony television and that's the same panel that's in that to the best of my understanding. So. All it really is is slightly better viewing angles and quantum dots in your OLED, so a slightly different pixel arrangement. I don't think there's white pixels in it is the difference. But this is my first OLED television. I've obviously had an OLED phone for a couple of years. OLEDs are brilliant. I love them. I know people have an issue with potential burn-in, which is if, say, you had Minecraft running all the time and you had that through your television, you might get burn-in of the Minecraft HUD of the you know sort of various bits and pieces that are on it. Or if you had CNN or Sun Channel up with the logo all the time, you might get a little bit of burn-in. But I think modern OLEDs, it's much less of an issue than it used to be back in the day. And I don't know about you, but I've got no burn-in whatsoever on my phone. No, I've got an OLED phone, an OLED watch. I've got the mini LED on my iPad and I've got a TV very similar to one you've bought, but two years or 18 months older. And I was just looking at the specs of it. This looks like stunning telly. It looks very similar to mine physically. I love the OLED. And actually with my children playing on the PlayStation and the Switch, watching TV, we've had no issues with burning whatsoever. So I don't think it'll be an issue for you. It, hopefully yours is like mine. It's got a great screensaver where it actually shows pieces of art and with frames on. And it looks kind of cool where you've got a very thin bezel on the screen and then it shows you a, a you know a nice painting with a gold massive gold leaf sort of border on it i think you, I'm, I'm hoping you're gonna be pleased with it i love my lg tv i've never owned an lg tv until i bought one of these but i love the panel i love how quick it is i think it looks fantastic i thought the sound was pretty good i have since upgraded mine so you've not had oled before but you've had 4k right how have you really noticed the difference between oled and a non-oled 4k panel 
So it's been on the wall a day, so not massively yet. I, w I will say the the hang on. I'll, I'll, let me go, let me step back a minute. I, I'll, I will answer the question. So I did have to change a little bit about my setup. So it's going on a wall bracket. I'm not st using the stand that came with it. So I needed a visa mount for it. Like I said, I had a stand on the wall. The stand on the wall was for a 55 inch plasma TV. So it's a fairly substantial pit get because if you remember how heavy plasmas were. So I just I didn't really think about it. I thought it's going to hang on the stand, and it does pretty much. I had to go to screw fix and buy some bolts to make sure it would fit because it uses a slightly different standard of bolt than what came before that uh, who knew bolts for tvs come in m2 m4 m6 and m8 variants of a variety length it's a standardized bolt the ones i had were i didn't know that there you go the ones i had were m8 bolts which were big thick ones for big heavy things which the samsung that came off the wall needed this doesn't because it's lighter and despite the fact it's a 65 inch tv the same as the samsung that came off the wall it looks much bigger I don't know if it's just a trick of the bezels that are on it or, or what it is. A, it looks bigger, even though it's the same size, and I cannot believe how thin this television is. There's a thicker, it's like an iMac from a while back. There's a thicker bit at the bottom, but it tapers to almost nothing up at the top. It's one of the thinnest things I've ever seen, I think. I can't believe there's a screen behind it. It is amazing, isn't it? And it, because on mine, to get to the sofa, you walk past the side of the TV and you, and occasionally I glimpse it and it's like, wow, that is thin. How does that How does that even work? I think they are stunning. As it passed the family test, to the family like the look of it? So far, so good, yeah. So I've left my daughter and her boyfriend in there watching the Divergent series at the moment. And she just turned on the Netflix thing and came out to say to me, just the Netflix menus. Netflix menu look better, Dad. I can't believe how bright they are. I can't believe how black it is. So immediately she's noticed how much better the picture is. And has there been any feedback? This is usually from my wife on how big the screen is because I often get pushed back on getting too big a screen. Well, I wanted to go for the 77 inch this time. I was told no. So, but have been told it's bigger. Now, what's odd about it, and I'm still not really talking about the picture and stuff quite so much as sort of the placement of it, is that the visa mount bracket for it is much further down the television than the previous ones that have been there. Visa mounts are typically in the center of a display, like the monitor I'm looking at at the moment. It sits in the center. Yep. This is actually at the bottom of the display. Not right at the bottom, not where the stand would go, but a little bit above that. So it's actually physically much higher up the wall. So it kind of dominates the room a little bit more than the previous one. Now, I've always felt where the bracket is is too low. It's sort of at fireplace level as opposed to further up the wall, which is most, where most people mount the TVs. Now it looks a lot further up the wall. So it is actually sitting higher. And I can see why you'd think it was a bit more dominant in the room, even though, like you say, it's actually smaller, if that makes sense. So yeah, sort of placement of it and that kind of stuff. It will get there. It hasn't caused massive offence, I think, is the, is the beyond the end all of it. It's always a concern, though, isn't it, buying new tech? Like, Because I, I bought the screen, and then I think about six months later, I bought 5.1 for the same room. And I was like, am I going to get grief because I'm now running cables and speakers and an amp and a sub? But actually, it works really well. So, so right, happy with the physical industrial design of it. What do you think about the picture quality? I'm not going to get there yet. I've got one more thought. I had to buy some okay. new. I had to buy some new cables. So because the PlayStation and the Apple TV, I, I wanted to upgrade to HDMI 2.1 cables. I wanted to make sure they had enough bandwidth in them for, for the sort of bits that I'd be shoving up and down. Particularly for 120 hertz for the PlayStation, it's less important for the Apple TV. Most things run at 24 frames per second or something like that. So if you put them in filmmaker mode, so I was okay with that. But I still got new cables just for the sake of it, which involved a bit of a tidy up. It's much tidier behind there now. Getting rid of all my Virgin Media stuff from underneath the TV has made a difference as well. Quite happy with that. It's Again, it's not John Syracuse levels of setup. I have got bits of wire kicking around a little behind there, but it's an awful lot better than it was. So that's it's much tidier, it's much more together. I like the cable management behind the TV as well. That's very good. The first run, when you turn it on the first time, 
is easier than Samsung's thing. LG have their own WebOS, WebOS, which was the Palm thing back in the day. I'm trying to remember what that's called. It is mad that you're running a mobile OS in the on this massive TV. Yeah, but it also shows how ahead of its time that particular OS was when when it when it came out. Which LG bought from Palm for not a lot of money, and I know they've it's on my older TV over here as well. Didn't HP buy it from Palm? Yeah, I think they and did. And then LG bought it from HP. <laughs> yeah, it had quite a journey, Palm. It had quite a journey, and it's a great television operating system and i will say the amount of apps that are on there for it are what i'd expect so it's got iplayer and amazon and plex and disney plus and apple tv and all the things that you'd expect to be there built into the tv with many 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 more in their store that i'm never going to go anywhere near so that first run experience was really good except the amazon app wanted to run in spanish for some reason no no idea why but everything else just worked i will say modern tvs i presume it's the processes in them tuning off a normal antenna is insanely quick i don't remember the day when you used to scan for tv stations and it would take forever this was less than a minute i'd say scan and find all the tv stations i don't even have mine plugged into an antenna fair enough the, the, if it doesn't show bbc one on itv it's not welcome in our house so that has to work <laughs> that, i can understand that so that was the and setup what 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 2.1 cables did you buy because i never know what like when i'm buying a cable what cable should I buy? Where? What brand? Do you have a brand you go for? No, I went. I went for Amazon Basics as long as it supported what I thought. So I looked for the ones that supported 8K resolution because I knew they were fast enough. It was eight pound forty nine per cable for three meters. That was good enough. I had a quick look at the reviews. I will pop in the show notes at the Pitch Meeting Guys YouTube video on. I should be careful finding the link. I might wait till after the show on shopping on Amazon because it is a bit of a minefield, but it's extremely funny and accurate. And I, I thoroughly recommend you watch it before you head off anywhere else today. But the reviews seem to be good enough. I could trust the first few of the, of them that I, that, that I tried it. And I did. And the Apple TV has a tester feature where it tells you how good your cable is, as does the PlayStation. And they passed that. So I'm happy with that. I know some people swear by cable brand X, but I find it so hard shopping for things like this because, you know, there are four trillion Chinese variants of a cable that may or may not be good enough. And they include everything in the name of it that I just wanted to go for something that looked vaguely sensible. It's kind of why I was asking, because I've got an Apple TV, I've got my PlayStation. Mine are all plugged into an amplifier, which does the 120 and, and 4K, and it do, does all, all the goodness. So I've actually only got one cable going in the back of the... I'm hoping they've improved the cable management on your telly, because mine was not a lot, to be really honest. But no, it sounds really good. But so you're pleased with it. Are you going to use the apps on it? Have you got it hooked up to internet, or are you going to just use an Apple TV? Well, I am going to use the apps on it, because as we've talked about before, Apple TV doesn't support some things that other apps do. So iPlayer on the TV supports uh, Ultra, Ultra HD. It gives you a 4K variant of some version of things. So Peaky Blinders being the first thing I tried, actually. Whereas the Apple TV still doesn't. You're still restricted to 1080p. Well, I mentioned earlier I watched Shetland. I should try that out actually next week on the LG app because I reckon the picture quality will be better. And it is noticeable. So I'll, I'll now talk about the picture. The picture is incredible. And even even on an HD input, so like the BBC, the first thing that was on when I happened to turn it on was BBC Lunchtime News. It didn't look very good in 1080p. I mean, it does a good job, but I immediately go and switch off all the sort of picture learning stuff. I don't want to do any interpolation. I don't want motion smoothing. I don't want any of that stuff. So I switched off. And you can see the difference, keeping in mind I was stood right next to it, between a 1080p one and a 4K uh, feed to it so it is a remarkably good picture it's don't get me wrong it's fine when you're actually sitting back on a couch the, the, the hd feed looks great but the sd feed just does not is not a pretty thing these days completely agree i'm very sensitive to it i think i can tell generally when something's sd hd or 4k because i'm just i'm just tuned into it i think 
Yeah, I'm with you. It is a lovely picture. And once I found the filmmaker mode and a quality of life improvement over my older TV, if you want to switch on, switch off the motion smoothing between the inputs, you have to go into every input and do it. So if you've got an Xbox and an Apple TV and something else plugged in, click on that HDMI input, the switch in this case, click on this, click on that, picture settings, advanced picture settings, scroll all the way down and inside of thing, motion smoothing, off, save, save, save. Next one, HDMI 2, motion, same thing, motion smoothing. Whereas now, you can apply to all inputs, which is great. Uh, okay, that is quite cool. So I've gone through, I've switched everything to filmmaker mode and applied to all inputs. No motion smoothing in anything. Filmmaker mode gives you 24 frames per second with the colors that is expected to come out of the thing that's being streamed to it or the Blu-ray or whatever it is that comes out of it. So I'm really impressed with that. And just, I mean, I said it at the beginning, the blacks are black. The, the HDR elements are super bright. I mean, it is noticeable. Like when you view the sun on your phone, on your iPhone, with an HDR image, you actually see that. So on the PlayStation 4, uh, PlayStation 5, for example, all the application icons really stand out and pop. It's fantastic. I completely agree. I'm running PS5 the same as you, Apple TV the same as you, with the HDMI 2.1 cables. The quality, the oh, I don't think my kids realize how lucky they are because they've got nothing to compare it to. A friend of mine did pop over yesterday and he's got a couple of PlayStation 4s and I think my son was playing F122 on the PlayStation 5 on the OLED TV and he was just like, Oh my God, what, is that the PS5? Is that the TV? What, what is making it look so good? And actually, I think it's all of it coming together because you've got the sound, because you've got the surround sound, you've got the massive screen that is going at 120 hertz, and then you've obviously got the PS5 and the graphics that that brings. So I I do think you'll enjoy the benefit of it because I was cheesed off when I bought my telly that five months later, it, it was significantly reduced. But actually, I then thought, I've had so much good use out of it. And like having a cinema night with the kids and some popcorn, it's, it's really enjoyable and it is nice and you do appreciate films even old films have been remastered in 4k just looks stunning on it i think so you can go back and enjoy some like watching war games the other day that's in 4k and it looks stunning yeah it's good i'm, I'm impressed so i sat and watched finished moon Knight and watched the first couple of episodes of ms marvel blown away i know it's streaming it's not the massive you know 4k quality that you might get from a blu-ray or something but it, it really flatters it it looks really really great so i'm impressed plugged in with ethernet ethernet so I can have the highest possible bandwidth with it. No problems with stuttering or anything like that. The sound, which I'll touch on, is okay for that kind of TV. They haven't got a lot of volume. You can't put a lot of speakers and things that are such low volume. I've got a Sonos Beam single speaker setup thing for improved sound, and it worked really well. Plug that into one of the HDMI ports, so that gives you eARC, which is audio return channel. So any of the inputs on it will use that, so that works really well. A top tip that I don't know if you know about, you probably do know about it, you've had this kind of TV longer than me, is when you've got something coming through one of the HDMI ports, if you click the green button a lot, it will fire up another menu and tell you exactly what you're looking at in very geeky terms, in terms of what the what the hertz are for. I don't know that. For what the hertz are that's going on, what resolution it's getting it at, what the chrominance is, and all these kinds of geeky things about it, so you can actually see you're getting what you're expecting to get through that input. No, no, that does sound good because mine does flash up in the corner, go Dolby Vision or HDR. I can't remember, but that is quite interesting. I will, I want to try that out because, like you say, how do you know you're getting? Like when we were doing the iPlayer piece, I would like to have seen what what, what does the TV think it's getting? Yeah, so from. The Apple TV, it thinks it's getting 4K at 50 hertz from me at the moment. So which may be the right, okay. which may be the output of the Apple TV, I'm not sure, but at least you know you're getting 4K in that particular input. So that's that's quite good to see. It's useful. Yeah, I'm going to give that a go. So you're pleased with your purchase. 
So you're pleased with your purchase then? I'm very pleased with my purchase. I need to watch. The problem is the weather's so nice at the moment. It feels wrong to sit inside watching TV. <laughs> Yeah, but you're ready for the winter and the storms and all of that that we're going to have coming because our, our, our weather does seem to be very extremes at the moment. Yeah, climate change is real, everybody. Also, I guess if the TV puts off a lot of heat, maybe I can save something on my energy bills as well going forward. Um, do you know what, actually? I don't think it's that bad. I um, certainly haven't noticed on mine. My older Sony, which isn't OLED, you stand near the panel, you can you can feel some heat radiating from it. Yeah, the plasma that was there, the TV before this one, it put out some heat. In fact, I think I had a fan in it. Oh, you don't want a fan in it. It's one of those things you realize when you take a TV off the wall, is that I, I didn't know this about plasmas in the day. You weren't meant to lie them down. I did not know that. Apparently the plasma could move. Wow. <laughs> How long have you had it? What, which, which now? The, the, the plasma. Oh, the plasma's long gone, so... It, the plasma was the TV before the Samsung that's there now. So I went from a plasma, I went from a 55-inch plasma, which was about as big as you could get. To, it weighed an absolute ton. It was not a light television. It was a Panasonic plasma. It was a good TV, actually. A bit noisy. To so this Samsung 4K, but it was one of the first Samsung 4Ks that came out. So I, I reckon that's, that TV had been there for about seven years, the Samsung that was there. Oh, okay. And now to this LG. And I have become a fan of LG. That's the second LG I've bought since I've been buying televisions. And I think... I like WebOS as as a as an interface platform. I like OLED so far, so we'll see how it goes. I am pleased with my purchase. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I love OLED. WebOS doesn't get too much in your face. I think I think it's fine. I barely use it to be honest, but the small amount I do use WebOS, it's not in my face. I quite like it. It's clean. It looks nice. I did find it odd that it wanted to turn on some active standby mode, like it never actually switched off. It sort of left the screen on all the time, showing the artwork you're talking about. I, I, so I didn't want that, but that, that sounded like an odd option. Yeah, we very much. Turn it off, off here, yeah, because I, I, I'm not worried about screen burn, but it's it's just there in the back of my mind. It's kind of like with range anxiety on your car. I'm not worried about it, but it's just there in the back of your mind, isn't it? Definitely. Good. So a second topic we've got for our main show is, uh, you've written this one, should Apple make a foldable phone? What's bird this? So obviously Samsung have announced the Fold 4 and the Flip 4 this week, and they're just updates on the Fold and Flip 3. So the Flip 3 is, imagine a regular iPhone and you literally just, they call it flip, but you fold it in half on the vertical aspect. So, so the top would fold onto the bottom of the phone. And then the fold is like your iPhone and you've got a little screen on the front, but you open it up like a book. And then you have, in essence, like an iPad mini inside it. Now, a friend of mine at work has got one of these Fold 3s. They've brought out these new Fold 4s, as I said. And I just wondered, why haven't Apple gone near it? You know, Apple... Um, Samsung have iterated on it four different versions now. But what came out in this one, I've included MKBHD's video, is nothing's really changed on the hardware side. So on the flip version, you've got a very small screen and you can basically do some control center widget stuff on it. And then it opens up and you've just got your regular screen. And then on the fold, you've then got the small screen on the front and you open up and it's basically an iPad underneath. And a friend of mine has this work and I look at that and I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, you know, you you go from your phone, oh, I just need to do an email or look at a couple of documents and you can just do it there. Will Apple ever do this? Should they do it? What do you think? It's just a brief, just discussion. So it's cool technology, isn't it? It's the thing. This, this, it's cool. It's that, That's the, the primary thing about it. As as nerds and geeks and whatever else, that's a cool bit of technology. The fact you can take glass or, or very glass-like plastic, whatever it is that they've actually got there, and fold it in half is amazing. And the fact you could double the size of your device because that's what we're talking about in both, you know, the fold or the flip orientations as you're doubling your device. You know, 
it, it's cool. In the same way when I was looking at the Google Pixel phone, hole punch cameras are cool. You know, always on OLED screens are cool. And we're always attracted to that kind of thing. And, and there is a productivity increase for some people to have that extra screen real estate. I can understand for people who don't want a big phone, maybe you want to keep it in a handbag or something like that. That sort of Motorola Razor style flipping up phone, which is that the fold? That yeah, the that's the that's the flip. That's the flip. I, I I totally get that. You know, you've got something small in your purse or in your pocket. It doesn't take up a lot of space, but you open up and you've got the same amount of real estate as you've got on a phone or something, an iPhone. Or... But it does though, because it's going to be a thick lump in your pocket rather than a tall, slightly thinner lump in your pocket. Sure, but it's not. It's not exactly the same. It's not a like for like comparison, is it? Because if you're the sort of person who maybe carries around like a, a mirror or something in your handbag, or you know you're used to having a bulk of keys or something in your in, in your pockets, you can live with that kind of bulky thing. You might not want the length of it. So I think there's something to be said for the for the form factor over and above the coolness of it. Uh, let's face it. How popular was the Motorola Razor back in the day? Oh yeah, massive. But then, do you want to have a phone that you've always got to open to do anything? Again, for some people, I think switching into the context of now I'm on my phone as opposed to I'm just triaging a couple of texts and things, it works for people. And and sure. then the other form factor, you can do quite a lot with it before you open it up. You know, it's still a fairly standard Android phone and, until the point you open it up and it becomes an iPad. It's kind of two devices in one. I can understand why Apple haven't jumped with both feet into this market. I remember the very first ones that came out having issues around the hinges and having issues around the screen protectors that came with them. So the, the very first one, and Marquez did this, I think, the Fold 1, he thought it was a screen protector, but it was actually a plastic layer for the phone, and he unpeeled the screen protector off it, and it broke it completely. You know, the screen started, the screen delaminated, and I think they've got a lot better with that. But you need to be very careful with that interior screen. And the other bit I don't particularly like about them is the, and I haven't watched Marquez's video, I'll do it after the show, there's generally a noticeable fold on the screen. You know, where, the, where they come together, be it in the horizontal or the vertical axis, that you eventually look past in the same way look, we look past notches and things like that on our Apple devices. But it's always there. And I don't know if I'd want that personally, but I could, Apple, with their obsession with things like that, probably wouldn't, excusing the notch, which we've all got used to. I, I don't think that's in their wheelhouse. If you got to the point where it was perfectly flat when you when you unfolded it, I think we'd be there. But the fragility of them is more of a thing. The hinge is a real area of problem, even on this, I presume, this fourth generation one. Little bits of grits, little bits of things that end up in there. It's it, When you've got an operating system that you support, you know, back four, five, six years, is the device going to last four, five, six years with these hinges and with these screen types in the same way that we're used to? I think you make some good points. So... I think seeing the hinge is something depends on the angle you're sat at. Uh, like I said, I've seen, seen one in the office and I was intrigued by it, but I had a go on it and then I realized I didn't know what to do on Android, to be really honest, but that's probably more on me. It did look very good what they've done with Android. It would also be interesting for Apple because then they're trying to split iPad OS and iPhone OS, and this would actually bring them very much back together. But I just wonder, you know, Apple's usually looking to push the upper limits of what we're willing to spend on a device this could be room in the market. You know, you've got the iPhone Pro and then you've got the Pro Max, obviously, which is slightly bigger. Then could you have the iPhone, iPad Max or whatever you're going to call it? And it, again, it's pushing the boundaries of what you do. Would they ever want to blur the iPad mini and the phone line? And is it there? And also, the what have you got to give up? Because like the selfie camera on the fold when you have it opened out is apparently under the screen and not very good. So there's obviously enough though for Samsung to keep pushing because they've done four releases, they haven't just abandoned it. So I don't know, just wondered, 
you know, we've got no rumours that anything's coming this year. There's no rumours that it'll be next year. But do you think the technology is getting to a position where Apple could make in the quantities they would need to and achieve a price they'd want to achieve? Or do you think, actually, do you know what, maybe it's two years out from now? I think it's two years out from now, at least. They've probably got seven or eight of these in various form factors kicking around in a lab somewhere, and none of them are good enough yet for, for whatever reason. I think they've, they've achieved a, a standard of durability that they're happy with in the current devices, let's face it. That in some ways, they're a very conservative company because they do find the design and they do stick to it. And they, you know, If you think back to the, the iPhone 6 design, is effectively still the iPhone SE, isn't it? So the, 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 they want to recycle those designs for, designs for a period of time. And I, I genuinely think it's at the point where it meets whatever quality requirement that they set themselves, that they're happy with it, they'll release something and they'll find the price point for it. But to your point about the, the sort of jump on things, when foldable screens came out, there were four or five Chinese manufacturers, of the same, Huawei and others, who had foldable devices too. And we're really only left with Razer, Motorola, and, and Samsung at the moment, who are still pushing folding phones devices. The rest of them, not so much. So I think it's still a very niche market. I understand people that want it because it is solving that, you know, I'm at work now, I open it up or I've got work to do now, or, or it fits in their handbag or it fits in their pocket or whatever it is, that the, or they just think it's cool, let's face it. That's a perfectly legitimate reason for having a piece of technology because you think it's cool, he said, looking at a Steam Deck. So, you know, I, I'm, if it was good enough that it passed that quality boundary for Apple, we'd have it. I don't think we're there, and I, the rumors are still too far off for what they want to do with it. I think if they could have it in its folded state, the same thickness as an iPhone was now, then that might be the, quality, the, the thing that they push. But for the moment, I think they've got that balance. It is more like two iPhones tacked on each other. And it, it probably raises the same question, you know, would they ever release a stubby Apple Pencil to go on the iPhone? You know, it's kind of that blurring those products because Samsung obviously do it. And I just wonder whether Apple will go there. I wouldn't mind a little stubby pencil on my iPhone because I do occasionally take notes on it. But would it catch on? Don't know. And I just just, yeah, just kind of wondered what, what your thoughts were. Because Samsung, to be fair, are pushing on in some different directions and not just following the herd. And I like that. But I wonder whether Apple will ever become a follower. Well, I think Samsung are doing some great work. And, you know, there was that joke, Samsung start your photocopiers or Apple start your photocopiers. I forget which way around it was by the time it, it, it came along. You went about Richmond start your photocopiers. When yeah, that's, 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 that's the one. It, you, you had that impression with Samsung at the start that the very first iterations of their smartphones looked very like the iPhone, the original iPhone, and the, inter the operating system was skinned to look a lot like iOS. And these days, Samsung go their own way. You know, they've got their own skins on Android that they do. They build hardware very much the way they want to do it. In fact, isn't this a Samsung display that's that's uh, that's in, in the uh, iPhone? Poss possibly, I can't remember. Because it, it, it yo-yos, doesn't it? Usually between LG and Samsung, who's, who's doing the displays. Yeah, but I think the OLED in, in the iPhone is a Samsung display. It's a Sony camera. They buy these parts in and they make, they make an iPhone out of it. And... I like that innovation at Samsung. It's a huge company, isn't it? And and it, it, it is great to see Apple pushed on these fronts by the way. I'm the same as you. I look at these folding phones and I think, oh, that's cool. And I can just about get around Android, but it doesn't scratch a need enough for me at the moment to think Apple must do this. And I suspect that's within the company as well as that it's just not quite there yet. So give it another couple of years, let the technology come along a little bit, and I'm sure we'll have folding iPhones. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's got, got to mature a little bit. But I wonder, is that the next big change? So we had iPhone with a home button. We've had an iPhone without a home button. Are we going to end up with a foldable iPhone? You know, that's the next major OS change that they've got to cope with. 
or they skip it and it's built into glasses for you know for, for that what comes on next i mean you don't know what the next big product is going to be and it's been a while since we've had one i mean the apple watch was the last sort of big-ish sort of change from apple for the, the these sort of devices i'd say a home pod wasn't that evolutionary but you know the apple wear or apple vr or apple ar or whatever it's going to be might be if they can get the battery right or right or or you need to pair it to your the phone in your pocket for it to work properly i mean we don't know what that's going to look like yet yeah i mean yeah no it's gonna be interesting i would imagine you've got to pair it by the way because they all start like that and then they break away don't they and it becomes its own device yeah and the watch still hasn't broken away properly despite them saying there's an app store that's separate to the watch and all the rest of it the watch is very much a tethered device they've chipped away at the edges but they haven't really i i expected them by now to have fully embraced the watch can stand on its own two feet yeah yeah good i think that'll do us for that discussion that was quite an interesting one yeah no it's good i just thought nice to talk to me different for a change perfect Ab- absolutely right. So uh, end of the show then. So if anybody wants to get in contact, drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. See you next week. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. 